Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. That's great. Good morning. Happy Easter. What a great Sunday morning, eh? If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to, uh, we're going to start uh, in, in Ephesians. We'll probably go to 2 Corinthians. Notice I said probably. And maybe occasionally 1 John or something like that. Normally, you know, we get a resurrection message and this morning, I just really felt like the Lord wanted me to talk to us about why he did what he did and what that means to us. At the end of the service, we're going to do communion. And communion was given to us by Jesus so that we would remember what he did and why he did it and what that made available to us. We've been in a series called Kingdom Carriers, and we're just going to continue in that series this morning, because Jesus had an intention for the church. And um, this message today, I think, in our times, in the political times that we live in, in the amount of anger that we see in so many different forms coming from so many different angles, there is an incredible responsibility to the church, to respond in a way that well represents Jesus. So this morning, I just want to talk to you about the motivation and the key that we have. Jesus said, I'll give, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And those keys unlock specific things that we can understand about God and about who he created the church to be. And this particular key is called the key of the revelation of love. And I say revelation because it's not the kind of love that you have for your children, even though I know that you love your children dearly, or maybe even your grandchildren, or the love that you have for your spouse, or for a friend, or family member, or whatever it might be. We, we love, we, we try to love, we do our best to love, but this love is a different kind of love. It's the revelation of love. It's beginning to understand a love that is beyond us. And so to, to get a grasp as a believer, as a church person, we have to come to a revelation of love. That draws us to Jesus. We come to a revelation of understanding that his motivation at the cross was love. That's why we read John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that who should ever perish, that who should ever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, we, we understand it, we get that, but we don't understand that that word for love there is agape, which means something totally different than you and I can do. Agape love is never really mentioned in the Greek in any other text except Scripture because God created the word agape specifically to express his love for us. And so that love is received by revelation, and it also is uh, 
It is mastered by revelation. It is understood by revelation. And then it is also distributed by revelation. It is a supernatural love. It is a, a love that's outside of this world. It's agape love. And so there's a revelation of love that we experience and is demonstrated at Easter with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to understand that love. I don't know about you, but I want to get it. I want to understand what God intended for me and for me to be about. And so to do that, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. And I have this in the New Living Translation. If you could read it with me, that would be good. Uh, we're going to read it out loud, and we're going to read it loudly. Is that cool? All right, here we go. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees, and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ Though it is too great to understand fully. Stop. Let's read that again. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. This is an adventure. An adventure of love. So the first thing that we've got to identify is the Spirit of God, which Stephen was talking about, is the one who reveals the love of God. The Spirit of God roams throughout the earth, wooing people to the Father, wooing people to the cross. No matter what your background, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, the Spirit of God cries out to you, come to the Father, come to me. All who are burdened. And heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. I've got rest for your soul. I've got rest for your mind. I've got rest for your will. I've got rest for your emotions. And so that spirit reveals the love of God. And he reveals it and continues to reveal it. That's what I want you to get out of this message today. That when you came to Jesus, you did not get it fully. You did not understand fully the love of God. You had a revelation of the love of God. And that revelation is a journey of revelation. 
you continue to get more and more and more of an understanding of the love of God. It's wide, it's deep, it's tall. It is, it is vast, his love for you and me. And that comes, that continual journey comes by revelation. And it is experienced, it says in Ephesians, in our innermost being. And that's our, our soul, our mind, our will, our emotion. It, we experience that. And the Spirit empowers us, gives us revelation on how to understand the greatness of God's love. We're being rooted and grounded by God's love. It says, be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Now, let me explain that. To live life and to understand what God intended you to receive in this life, your foundation, your, your, your life has to be established on one thing, and that is the love of God. You've got to have a clear understanding and a clear revelation of what love really is to begin to build your life on. That should be what you build on. The foundation of everything about your life and you should be grounded in that and by that understanding of his love. Knowing this, that his love changes everything about your future. The love of God and the understanding of the love of God will change your life. It'll change your past life, how you look at your past life. It'll change how you look at your current situation. And it'll change how you look at your future. Ephesians tells us that the love of Christ passes our ability, our natural ability to comprehend it. It is supernatural. It is agape love, a word created by God so that we can understand his love. Now, let me just give you, if you don't have notes, we've got notes, and it's late, but I do want, anybody want notes? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, it's not. Can we interrupt right here? Good place to stop. Let's get those passed out. I see that there's many of them gone already. I want you to see this, and I'm going to read this. And I've already said some of you know that word was created. We got one in the back right there, Richard. The word was created so that we could comprehend the love of God. It comes, it's agape. It's a Christian word, really. It rarely occurs in any Greek manuscripts of any period of time. Agape denotes, listen, it denotes an undefeatable benevolence. It denotes an undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest good of another person. That's what agape means. It means there's this unconquerable goodwill towards you, an undefeatable benevolence toward you, no matter what you've done or no matter what another person's done. It is a self-giving love that gives freely without asking anything in return. And it does not consider the worth of the object that it loves. 
Agape is more a love by choice than love by chance. It refers to the will rather than the emotion. Agape describes the unconditional love that God has for the world. It's an unconditional love. And when we understand this love, this unconditional, undefeatable love, say that with me. I mean, that's just good, isn't it? There's an undefeatable, unconquerable love towards you that has this idea of goodwill and benevolence towards you. No matter what you've done or no matter what you're doing, there is still this love. You cannot reverse the love of God. You can't increase it for you. You can't decrease it for you. It is undefeatable and unconquerable towards you. No matter what you do, it's not based on what you do. It's based on what he chooses. And he's choosing to love you. And so the first thing that we've got to know that there's a revelation that comes. And we've got to receive that revelation. And we've got to begin to walk in that revelation. Now I want to talk to you just a little bit about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. There was an old covenant and the new covenant. And the old covenant was a, a covenant of condemnation. In other words, it was a law. It was laws. It was do's and don'ts. It was do's and don'ts. You do this, you don't do this. You do this, you don't do this. If you didn't, if you didn't uh, succeed in that, then it condemned you. You were condemned. And before the foundation of the world, God knew that he was going to establish this covenant with mankind, but he also knew that mankind was not going to be able to keep the covenant. That's why everything about the covenant looks like Jesus. That's why everything about the priestly duties look like Jesus. I was talking to Tony Durkin a little earlier today, and we were just talking about the depth in which the Scripture is written in the Old Testament that uncovers the glory of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. It is absolutely amazing the incredible detail that is played out in history that Jesus fulfills at the cross and at the resurrection. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so all through history, this, this law was written knowing that it wasn't going to be successful knowing and pointing toward the day that it would be fulfilled, that it would be finished, that it would be doable now in some way, that we would be made righteous. So let's look at the condemnation of the law versus love and see how love wins. The law had no ability to make things right with God, not whatsoever. It was known to be, from the very beginning, a temporary fix. It was a temporary fix. It was rules and regulations that were given so that we could keep them and, and be like God. And they're not, they're not rules and regulations that were given that are just crazy and random. They, they were to help us to identify the nature and the character of God. But they were undoable by us because we were sinners. But... Moses goes and gets the instruction from the Lord. Most of us have seen the Ten Commandments and seen the movie. Now, I want you to get some of that mess out of your mind because some of it's just not quite right. But Moses 
goes to the mountain of God and meets with God to get the Ten Commandments, right? Remember the story? He goes up there, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. Now, in that process, you can read it in Exodus chapter 33, Moses is face-to-face with God, and this is what he says to the Lord. He says, show me your glory, Lord. And I really want you to understand this because it's so important for us today in understanding the love of God. They are very related. They're very related. Moses had already seen the glory. He'd already seen the promises of God. He'd already seen the provision of God. He's already seen the miraculous of God. And he goes up on this mountain, and he asks God, I've I've seen your power, I've seen your provision, I've seen your promises, I know they're coming true, but show me your glory. Show me your personhood. Show me what you're like. There There was this desire that Moses had to really know his God in a personal way. He wanted to know the personhood of God, and that's what glory means. God begins to describe himself to Moses as a person. It would be like me asking you, so, so, so what's you like? What do you like? I mean, what are your favorite things to do? What, what, what's your, what would you say uh, your personality is like, and, and, and what, do you, what do you love? It's just, it's just revealing of his innermost self. And Moses is asking for that, and because God revealed it, Moses comes down, and his face is shining with the glory of the Lord, because he's been in the presence of God and did not die. You really need to get a hold of this, that the glory of the Lord was on Moses, but we know that that glory faded. Have you read Exodus 33 and seen where Moses puts the veil over his face? First of all, for the glory, and secondly, to keep the people from being discouraged because the glory was going to fade. Details, Tony. Do you think God knew that the Old Testament was going to, in the glory of the Old Testament was going to fade. And he exemplified it in the personhood of Moses. And so the Old Testament couldn't work. It, it, it just didn't last. It fades away. It was always intended to fade away. From the very beginning, Jesus, just a week before his crucifixion and resurrection, was on the Mount of Transfiguration. You familiar with that story? And it says that Moses and Peter and John and Elijah were all there, and they saw Jesus in the fullness of his glory. They saw Jesus in his glory. And they, they saw that he was the Son of Man. He was the Son of God. And they saw his glory in its fullness. And so the Son of Man was sent 
to bring about a covenant with you and me, a covenant of love, a covenant born out of love that would never, ever, ever die. It will never, ever fade. His invitation to you and me will never fade. I don't care whether you're a believer or not. Whether you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ or not. His love is deep. It's wide. It's vast. And he directs it toward you. It's an unconquerable benevolence towards you. Anybody know what benevolence is? It's where you get something you don't deserve. Or when you can't do it yourself, somebody else comes to your rescue. Moses' glory was unending, but Jesus' glory will never fail. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that his love never fails. It never fails. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 18. I'm going to read this to you since it's a little long and since I have to get with it here. Now this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he's describing what I just said about the law and about Jesus. Now, I want you to understand that the law and Jesus were given based on the foundation and established on the love of God. And this is what Paul says to the church at Corinth and to the church at Eastside and to the church around the world. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. Aren't you glad? He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old way, with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of the Lord, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, shouldn't we expect it to be greater. In the old way, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. Shut, somebody say, shut up. <laughs> Do you realize what he just did Will say that your glory is greater 
than the glory that came on Moses. That's what he just said. In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains how long? Forever. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. We're not like him. We don't have to hide our glory because it's not going to go away. It doesn't have to leave. It can stay with us. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away for the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Everybody who is a believer, who is a son of daughter of God, has the ability to see the glory of the Lord. They can see it. You can see it. He wants to reveal it to you. His love is broad. It's wide. It's deep. It's vast. He wants to show it to you, but it comes supernatural. It comes by revelation. It comes as we walk with him. And he says, you can see. You have that ability to see the glory of the Lord. And not only can you see it in its fullness like Moses did, but it won't fade on you. It's just going to continue to grow to you because it's not a covenant that fades away. It's an everlasting covenant. It is a forever covenant. It's an eternal covenant. The glory of the Lord is going to be with you forever and ever for those of us who are sons and daughters of God. You can reflect the glory of God. You can see it and you can reflect it. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So he gives us, through his death and resurrection, he gives us all access to the glory of God because of his love for us. He loves us. He wants to show you his glory. He wants to show you his personhood, and he wants you to reflect his personhood. Now, this I've got to keep going because I've got to, I've got to get to the main part of the message. We're just setting this up. <laughs> the love of God lets us see and reflect the glory of the Lord. The glory being the personhood, the nature, and the character of our God and his attributes. It's not just literal. It's not just words in the book. The, the new covenant, it's, it's a life-giving thing. It's not something that you do and don't do. It is becoming. It's something you're becoming. You're becoming like God. You're becoming who you hang out with. And if you hang out with God, you're going to become like God. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He is transforming us into His glory. 
That Spirit of God that comes on us, it brings life, but it doesn't bring it with an absence of truth. In other words, the truth of the Old Testament is still good. It's just given to us by the Spirit so that we become it. We don't have to focus on doing it. It just becomes natural. We were at West Stanley last night, and it was put like this. In the Old Testament, it talks about do, 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 do. You remember that, Robert? Just do, 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 do this. In the New Testament, it says done, done, done. It's already been done. All you need to do is hang out with God to be transformed by him so that you can reflect his glory. Amen? Golly. But here's the deal. All his truth is always delivered with his love, with agape. You have to understand that it's agape love, that every time you see all these love words used in John, it is agape. It is an undefeatable, unconquerable, benevolent God who wishes the best for every human being regardless of what they're doing. And we're to reflect agape. Our job in the church is not to reflect judgment. I don't care what your political sway is. Either side judges both sides and are angry about everything. God has not called you to reflect his judgment. He'll do that. He's called you to reflect his agape love. (laughs) And the world needs to see the church reflecting agape love that loves somebody no matter what they're doing with a benevolent, unconquerable view of that individual that sees goodness and greatness in them regardless of what they're doing. Because there's always a wooing of the Holy Spirit that can call them unto himself and immediately their sins would be forgiven and they would be in right standing with God. The church needs to hear today that our attitude of love the world needs Not an attitude of judgment. We're not to judge the world, but to love the world. We're to reflect the love of God. Because Jesus passed his glory to us. In John 17, 22. The glory that you have given me, Father, Jesus said, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in his obedience, he manifested the glory of the Father. His nature and character should be manifested by the church. That is a benevolent, unconquerable honoring 
pulling for, hoping. Celebratory attitude toward everybody. That's why Jesus died. That's freedom. That's why he rose again. So that we could have life and have it abundantly. It's not about religion or condemnation. The law condemns. But love gives life. Love wins. Love wins. It's not judgment that people fear and turn to God. It's His goodness and His kindness and His love. So today we're going to take communion here in just a minute. I'm going to read a scripture here at the end. We're going to take communion, and this is what I want us to do. I know I'm doing it. But God wants you to receive his love in his fullness. First of all, you have to be open to God and open to Jesus. I just want to say to those of you who might be an Easter, Christ, uh, Easter Christmas church attender, we are so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. Not only that, <clears throat> I just want to apologize for the church. Because oftentimes you base your opinion based on how we reflect God and the love of God, and we've done a poor job. And so I want you to separate the two today and understand that God's love for you is something that wants, He wants you to prosper he wants to pour out on you. He wants you to succeed. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you abundance. He sees you as his favorite child, and he wants good for you. Regardless of what anybody says and regardless of what you have done or are doing. He wants you to receive his love. And for us as believers who have already made that decision, he wants you to not only receive the fullness of his love, but he wants you to begin to understand its greatness and its vastness. He wants you to understand that it is a supernatural love. It's not something that you can muster up on your own. It's something you have to commit to just like he does. It's committing to walking in his agape love. And identifying in your own life and in your own spirit, in your own thought processes, in your own heart, when you do not express and reflect agape love in a way that would make God pleased. And so we need today to examine ourselves because it's available to us. How many of you know that if you're not mad all the time, and you're not judging people all the time, and you're not critical all the time, that life is going to get a lot better? 
I mean, it just takes the pressure off of us, right? <laughs> so we want to grow in our understanding of the love of God. We want to begin to minister to others out of that revelation of his love. And we want to understand that truth without love is just a clanging symbol and the world's not going to want it. John 4, 7, 19 says this. Beloved, let us agape one another. For agape is from God. And whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not agape does not know God because God is agape. In this, the agape of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is agape, not that we have agaped God, but that he agaped us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin, the payment. Beloved, if God so agape us, we also ought to agape one another. No one has ever seen God. If we agape one another, God abides in us. And his agape is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have, been, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the agape that God has for us. When we receive Jesus, we are receiving and believing in his agape love. God is agape. And whoever abides in agape abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, by this is agape perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. As Jesus is, as the Father is, as the glory is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in agape. But perfect agape casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in agape. We agape because we were agaped first. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That's the message of Easter. And the church is to carry that message every day. What message is that? Love people with a supernatural love. Amen? Receive, understand, and move in it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.